This is White Scar's Team Up. Hello, dear listeners, and welcome to another episode of White Scarves Team Up. But it's a little bit more complicated this time because the person that we are inviting on today is not just technically a voice actor for New Century, but is also the co-writer of the most recent New Century book to come out, Back in Time Plus Space. And on top of that, he is one of our co-collaborators on this greater community called the Fireside Alliance with his own podcast with his friend Jonathan called Recorded Tomorrow. Toby and I are very happy to introduce Jesse Ferguson. Happy to be here. I think co-writer is a bit generous, though. (laughs) Well, we're going to get into it, obviously. And like your history with Alex and your history with New Century it has been a little bit complicated and I'm very curious to hear some of the nuts and bolts with all of this. Also, just in terms of like, we're all part of the same, as mentioned before, general community that has expanded outward since Jesse and I first started talking and Toby and I first started talking on the Discord and various other uh, social media platforms out there. Mm. Uh, For those people that are not aware, Jesse and I have done some movie watching nights together where he, I, you use some sort of um, shared setup so that we could stream it with other people and have conversation while we're watching it together. And on top of that, I've been on one episode of Recorded Tomorrow discussing one of my favorite movies, Memento. So honestly, uh-huh. this, this, this call is almost a little bit overdue, although at this point... <laughs> There have only been a few collaborations between various members of the Fireside Alliance. The fact that we are part of this uh, larger community of, of content creators and media analysis people only came up for the first time just last week when Toby and I recorded the most recent conversation on Arlington, and we got a chance to let I don't know how many of our of our listeners of our small audience isn't aware of it at this point, since most of them know about New Century through Alex. But, you know, I also just wanted to share with everybody, hey, there's some amazing things that I've been listening to recently. If you're listening to us and you haven't checked out that stuff, you absolutely Mm. should. In the collection of Infinity Stones, that is (laughs) the Fireside Alliance. Jesse represents the Titan Stone. That is a fair <laughs> assessment. I like mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Absolutely. Does that make so, me Benedict Cumberbatch? <laughs> if you want Benedict to be. Cumberbatch? <laughs> I could be Benedict That's not for Cumberbatch. us to decide. <laughs> Although your accent's better than mine. Also, you're bald like Thanos, so just, just don't get oh. the wrinkled chin. Wow, uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's what the beard is for, is to cover it up. Cover, uh, up, the, <laughs> cover up the creases. So... It's been a long time since I first listened to some of your early episodes of Recorded Tomorrow, and I'm sure that mm-hmm. you very likely get into some of what we wanted to touch on today. But just to start us off as a baseline, where did your love 
specifically of time travel narratives begin? And it, at what point did it become a fascination in terms of being, this is the kind of storytelling that you wanted to focus on more than anything else? Yeah. So, I mean, I've always been interested in time travel stories. I think everybody is on some level. And, you know, I loved Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure growing up, um, you know, Back to the Future. Those kinds of movies were, were always enjoyable. I watched Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure so many times <laughs> as as a kid and mm-hmm. a and a young adult. When it started becoming something that I was taking a real vested interest in was um, probably, geez, what is time anymore? Um, (laughs) Probably six, seven years ago. So I live in the greater Portland area. And Mm. for those who don't know, Portland is weird. (laughs) Portland, Oregon. (laughs) We had, I had a friend of mine uh, who put together a, sort of a ted style forum Mm, of a like a series of presentations like ted talks Mm -hmm. um, out of a game store with the idea that it like all of the presentations would be this the sort of informational ted style talk but they would all be gaming centric and i can see where this is going you did like bill and ted talk (laughs) (laughs) That I, I should have done that. Honestly, that joke was already in my head, and I was just waiting for Jesse to make it. But I should have known that Toby might have been quicker on the uptake than either of us. He asked me to do one, and I was rack, sort of racking my brain on, on what I was going to do it on, like, the subject of. And I ended up sort of stumbling on how interactive media, like, games handle time travel. Because it was mm. it was an interesting it was I was like this is this is kind of cool like how do you do that when you can't really control the narrative right when the author mm. can't directly control the narrative I did a bunch of research for that did the talk it was a lot of fun I kind of wish it was recorded somewhere but it's not at that point I that just kind of was that gave me sort of the bug at that from there and I just kept doing more research and thinking about it more and trying to figure out how I was going to like what I was going to do with all this research I was putting together. Uh, At one point I was going to try to do something like an extra credit style YouTube channel with like, you know, me on a podium or whatever animated. Um, But while I can draw, I cannot draw fast. So animation is not something that is, is going to be doable. For me, so I shifted gears a little bit and was trying to think of how I like, all right, I'll do a podcast, but what kind of podcast am I going to do? I can't just be talking on the microphone by myself. I at one point I was going to try to have my then girlfriend, now wife on the show with me, uh, like asking questions where I would try to explain these topics to her that felt very mansplaining so I ended Mm. up going not going in that direction and then uh, my friend Jonathan who I also knew through the uh, tabletop gaming sphere I discovered that he also was really passionate about time travel so I was like ah now I have a a partner in crime (laughs) and we can make this happen and so we did we started recording episodes um, in 2016 
didn't actually publish any for about two years after that because I, it was scary and I was trying to figure out how to make things happen and uh, had been going for, you know, two-ish years, pretty strongly publishing once a month. We're kind of on a hiatus right now just because of, you know, everything that's going on. It's uh, it, It's been hard to get people, uh, get guests lined up and find my own time to edit and record things. Um, but we are in the planning stages of coming back with we have a couple of interviews scheduled and we're going to be talking about loki and uh things like that it when when the show first started it was a sort of we were really trying to hit all the foundational pieces like we're going to talk about just core concepts and what we can you know what lessons you can take and how authors can use time travel in their fiction and and what rules they should follow and what things to avoid and things like that. I feel like we sort of covered most of that ground after about 12 episodes. So then we sort of pivoted and shifted onto more of an analysis, kind of like what School of Movies does, but specifically with a bent to time travel. So after that, we started Mm -hmm. talking about specific movies like we did a uh, looper episode we did a primer episode we talked oh, about that we talked about back to the future we we came on uh we brought greg on to talk about memento which isn't really about time travel but is has more to do with the how the perception of time and how moving how rearranging uh mm-hmm. things chronologically in your narrative can affect it expanding the definitions of what time travel is yeah yeah exactly which and i mean there there's a um i, I wish jonathan was here because he knows the author on it like personally but th- there's an author who writes a he he writes a time travel book that is like the protagonist of the book is the author who knows that he is the protagonist and author of the book and his bent is that like when you do like a flashback or when you change scenes narratively you're time traveling it doesn't matter how mm-hmm. you got there it's mm-hmm. still time travel so there's a precedent set one can make the argument that memento is time travel just because it's by sheer view of moving the camera around the chronology the audience is traveling through time on that level one could say that alex has been doing time travel stories since the beginning the very nature of the cartographer's handbook necessitate stories taken from different points in history, much like the novel World War Z. And even putting that atypical instance aside, Alex loves using tropes like flashbacks and time skips to take us on a journey through the lives of his characters, as well as adding layers to his plot. We don't think of it as time travel because it's part of the framework and not the story itself. It's just that in the case of movies like Memento, there's more ambition in playing with time in order to achieve an aesthetic or audience reaction above and beyond the tried-and-true traditional tropes that play with time. And in the case of Back in Time Plus Space, Alex took us out of the metatext and straight into text. I've certainly heard as a truism that we're all time travelers. It's just that we can usually only move in one direction. And at, at a fixed rate. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So. And, and I remember we had a conversation, and I think it was on our news episode on uh, uh, Back in Time Plus Space, where mm-hmm. I talked about how we are all time travelers, but in a sort of subjective sense of not just we move forward linearly, but we're always considering and 
imagining future and future possibilities, revisiting mm. the past and having it inform on our present. And so to me, that's why people are fascinated by time travel stories, because they allow us to take those like multiple planes of time and possibilities and almost make them literal or to try and make them concrete in some way. Yeah. yeah, the whole the whole conversation that something like the first episode of Deep Space Nine made clear <laughs> is that we call ourselves linear creatures, but our minds don't necessarily work that way in that we can be defined by moments in our past that mm. keep us from moving forward. Yeah. Uh, and that thoughts of the future or of a potential future can be what propel us on. That's what a lot of explorers might say. Mm. I knew this episode was going to wrap our head around in knots <laughs> and twists. So, you know, we're starting early. I like it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we talked about on Recorder Tomorrow, the idea that time travel narratives are meta metaphor for regret, mm. where when I say in a story, I have a character who's going to try to go back in time and fix some set of events. There's an argument to be made that I'm working through my own issues of like, there are things I regret in my past that I wish I could go back and do. And most of the time in a lot of time travel stories, this plays out because you see they try to go back and they try to fix things and mm. they end up making things worse and things are bad mm. and they have to do it again. And usually the best they can hope for is to go back and make changes so that things played out the way they originally did, which if we're sticking with the metaphor, that's sort of the author coming to terms with like making peace with what happened and accepting that you can't change these things and that mm -hmm. they are the reason that you, that you are here. I don't want to spoil back in time plus space for those who have not read it, which is many, many people. I was originally going to give this episode a spoiler warning, like I did with most of the other White Scarf team-up episodes, but Jesse decided at one point to talk about the book without doing so, and since I ended up agreeing with his logic, I will do the same. Having said that, I can't help but reflect on how that novel incorporates both of the ideas that Jesse just mentioned into the text and subtext of the story. Indeed. Many of the stories Alex loves to talk about and loves to write incorporate regret. So Jesse bringing this up was a Captain Reynolds, huh, moment for me. Once more, this is why I get so much out of New Century. Ogres and their lairs don't got shit on the New Century multiverse. Likewise, going forward in time is essentially finding a reason to stay motivated to do things in a certain way. Right. Mm -hmm. John Connor wouldn't feel the need to learn to be a leader if he didn't know that he was supposed to be a leader mm -hmm. in, you know, after that. It's it's like you you go to the future to see what things can be like so that you can come back and either make them happen or make them happen differently. Mm -hmm. Also, on top of that, the story of John Connor is a little bit like. <laughs> Almost predeterministic as well, because I, of all things to call upon, actually, there was a moment <laughs> specifically from the movie Paycheck, 
which talked about the idea is that if you know the future, then you don't have a future because you feel the need, you feel the pull to make true what you saw is actually going to happen. Right. John knows that he's going to become a leader in the future, so therefore he feels like he has no choice but to be a leader. Mm-hmm. I could talk for hours just about the Terminator <laughs> chronology and how all that works. You I've done several episodes right there. <laughs> <laughs> and we've done, like, for... We're, we're cross-promoting other things. Back when Terminator Dark Fate came out, which, by the way, great movie that everybody mm. slept on, but... Yep, including me. Still need to see it. Oh, you really do. Uh, but... So when when that first came out, I got together with Alex and Sharon and we did a Patreon episode for School of Movies where we broke down and laid out how time travel works in the Terminator universe. Mm. And uh, it's it's a fun one. Uh, And I I won't go into all of that. I don't want to repeat everything here, but Mm. just to get your brain moving. One of the things we talk about is how the the first Terminator movie that we see if we think about it as a chronology, as a timeline, and how things will sort of loop back, the events we see, we are seeing these things happen for the third time. Mm. Yeah. And we don't know that until the second movie, but it is it becomes clear later that the way that their time travel works, this has happened, some semblance of events similar to this has happened at least two times before we see it. And I'll let you to go back and listen to that episode to see why. Yeah. That's a very good seed you planted there because now <laughs> I'm wanting to go back and watch Terminator and then listen to that show. I'm excited. I've got an exciting evening ahead of me. So <laughs> while we're on the subject of time travel stories, I expect that we'd all agree that making your time travel stories emotionally satisfying should take precedence over making them ironclad in their internal logic. Though, of course, if you can do both, great. With that being said, what would be your go-to examples of a time travel story that gets the heart right while making no sense, and one that demonstrates a practically faultless grasp and adherence to its own mechanics of time travel, but perhaps misses the mark on engaging its audience emotionally? Oh, this is so easy. I've, I've got these already prepared. So the movie or the the property, they're both movies. Um, mm-hmm. The one that uses time travel really well in the sense that it tells a great story and just gets you really invested in the characters so that the fact that some of the time travel doesn't really make sense doesn't matter. You're easily able to overlook that. The one that everybody kind of goes to is Back to the Future. If you actually hold that up to scrutiny, it doesn't make sense. Um, And we can maybe get back to why a little bit later. But the one that I want to point to instead, because it's not one everybody's seen, is called About Time. Yeah, Alex did a a show on that recently. Mm. I I was on it. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And we talk about this. It's got uh, Donald Gleason and Rachel McAdams and... It's a romantic uh, romantic comedy where the uh, where Donald Gleason essentially is a time traveler. He can he can move around in his own past and and relive things and change things. Um, the mechanics are a bit shaky, but it's just a, a wonderful story. And mm. you you love it at the end and you kind of don't care that 
certain things don't quite make sense or contradict each other a little bit. On the other end of the spectrum, we have Primer, <laughs> where they the the time travel aspect, the mechanics of time travel are really, really good and really, really solid and like ironclad. You can there there really aren't any holes you can poke in it because it's it's really good. But when I watch Primer, I feel like the writers spent so much time making all of that ironclad that they forgot they were making a movie. Their story is just bare bones enough to get by the exposition dump about how their time travel works mm. and all of the examples and see, aren't we smart? How can how how consistent we are? And you thought you had it figured out, but you didn't. A lot of people really like Primer as their like go to. This is a great time travel movie. And I find it to be I'm very impressed with it. I'm very happy that it exists. And mm -hmm. the fact that they were able to to make that happen and the fact that they were able to make the whole thing on seven thousand dollars, too, mm. is mm. incredible. It's not one that I will revisit anytime soon um, mm. just because the story like the the story is not compelling and the characters are not sympathetic. And mm. I just like, yes, it's cool time travel, but I don't care about it, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah it works better as a thought exercise rather mm -hmm. than an actual narrative. And hey, uh, since we're on the subject, what's your go to example of a piece of media that does both? If there is one. So the when when people recommend primer i like to counter with don't watch primer watch predestination because uh predestination it's a it's based on i want to say uh, a heinlein novel a short story called all you zombies essentially it's about a person being recruited into a like time travel like time police agency and it is very consistent, but it, it it is also a like just a mind job of a movie. The mechanic, like the story is pretty compelling. There are some troubling bits. Uh, there's there are some like medical consent issues and one could make. At the risk of spoiling things, I will say if the if the Loki Sylvie romance bothered you, you might have mm. issues with this as well. Um, mm. But I won't go any further than that. It seems paradoxical. Um, it doesn't actually break any rules, but there are some like some things that you're like, whoa, that's oh, man. And it's the kind of thing where you you watch it and then you just kind of have to sit with it for a minute and, mm. and think about it. But it's it's a good one that that I like to to recommend to people. I'm That's glad you have because it's something I haven't heard of before, but yeah. I've been checking out uh, images while you've been talking. So that's that's on the list. Also, believe it or not, Bill and Ted's time travel is surprisingly robust and mm. consistent. And it really? holds up. It holds up incredibly well, even under under scrutiny. Mm. I, I watched that for the very first time, uh, I want to say about six months ago. I have to say that the, I was actually very impressed as well with how Bill and Ted handled the time travel aspects of things. Mm -hmm. It was all very clever in places. Yeah. I maybe watched it at the wrong point in my life in terms of being able to appreciate certain other aspects of it. But I want to mm -hmm. come back to it because I know that 
Bill and Ted Face the Music was so good. Was it was incredibly well done movie according to a lot of people whose opinion that I respect, and so <laughs> therefore I want to try to get on board with mm. the e- emotional heart of it so that I can appreciate that third movie the way it should be. Yeah, the thing I really like about Bill and Ted the the whole series is that it's one of the first examples I've seen where the characters are able to like Bill and Ted are able to pretty instantaneously grok how their time travel, like how time travel works mm-hmm. and exploit it. The whole like, remember a trash can mm-hmm. thing and the like, I'm going to, I'm going to go back in time later and take my, steal my dad's keys, <laughs> go back to two days ago and steal my dad's keys and hide them under this, under this bush. And now they're here is <laughs> like, it's ingenious and it's not something that you see happen very often. And mm-hmm. even like in the second movie, you, you think it's kind of going to break the rules because you have this character who's going to go back and try to change things and, and make things happen differently. But it doesn't. It's mm-hmm. like even even that one, it mostly seems to work pretty well. And, and they're like, you know, you thought you were doing something, but you don't understand how time travel works. And Bill and Ted are going to win because they understand how time travel works better than you do. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a lot of fun. You did say that you originally started talking about time travel thanks to a gaming community. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar with Kevin Culp's Time Watch game? No, I'm not. Well, then I would definitely recommend that you look that up. You can find it. Just, just a Google oh, wait. at some point. Yes, I am familiar with that. That's the 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 RPG, right? The, yes, the, the RPG. Yes. Where, again, people are um, members of a team protecting the time stream. They all yeah. have their own individual um, time uh, devices uh-huh. baked into like these big rods that they carry around. And one of the things that's discussed about how they handle the Bill and Ted narrative changes and everything like that is the power of the flashback mm-hmm. where you're able to explain ah but i'm prepared for this now and i'm going to show you through this flashback where i went back in time earlier to do this and now i have this to help me with the situation right now i i do remember that and i i might even have a copy somewhere i'm not mm-hmm. sure and the reason i say that is that i i jonathan and i actually interviewed kevin culp along with Gian shim when they collaborated on a like solo journaling RPG called um, oh man what was it called it's called I want to say remember me but that's not it because that's the <laughs> that's the that's the like PlayStation game I will find it though mm-hmm. it's a it's a really neat concept uh, where essentially the the idea is that you are a time traveler writing a journal to like to your past self so that Mm -hmm. you can like you can basically give yourself advice and then take it to that person and 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 stuff and Mm -hmm. i need to go find it again the game in question is apparently named wait for me and was a kickstarter from 2020 that was funded in 40 minutes and completely fulfilled on september 11th of that year the premise sounds very intriguing, but I'll have to do a little bit more digging to find out if this is still a thing I could get my hands on. I'm already seeing more than a few things just in the conversation we've been having uh, about elements that you've talked about just now 
that uh, poke their head in and say hello as far as back in time plus space is concerned. I'm sure you're talking about. (laughs) Well, yeah. We're not going to necessarily be talking a whole lot about the spoilers of uh, of the book itself, although we've done three entire episodes talking about that particular book right now. And honestly, whenever we start doing a uh, a White Scarves team-up episode, we want to be able to talk about these things and be able to give away stuff if that's where the conversation goes. But uh, before we start talking about that, now that we've talked about your past in terms of the time travel and the stuff that got you going creatively, we're now curious about, like we have with many of other people that have gotten involved with New Century, where your relationship with Alex started in terms of school of movies or digital drift or wherever it is it began with you mm-hmm. and how you actually got tagged into being a collaborator first with school of movies and then later new century. Sure. Yeah. Um, so I know Alex from like, I, I was turned on to Alex's podcast back when it was called digital cowboys Oh, and way back then. Yeah, okay. way, wow. way back. From the beginning. Not qu- I'm sorry, not Digital Cowboys, Digital Gonzo. It was oh, it was mm. the second iteration. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was like many people that I've talked to before recently. It was when Dan Floyd guested on that, for the Avatar episodes. That's absolutely um, that's exactly the way I jumped in. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so because I was a fan of extra credits and mm-hmm. uh, Dan Floyd on one of his shows, he's like, hey, I'm on a podcast over here. Go check it out. So I, I checked it out and fell in love with it and had been an, uh, uh, a regular avid listener ever since. <laughs> Weirdly enough, to stay perfectly on brand, when Alex and I first started communicating, it was via email because I reached out to him to discuss the Back to the Future episodes. <laughs> um, where <laughs> they were talking about the different ways that time travel might work and how stuff was like one thing works and something else doesn't. And there were some things that they were unclear on. So I emailed him and I was like, hey, so I kind of pay a lot of attention to time travel things. You had some questions and I might be able to answer those for you. And and uh, we just started going from there. Was this before you did your uh, presentation on the video games and time travel? This was right around the same time. I, I think I had done the presentation maybe a couple months prior that that kind of went back and forth. And like I said, we just we sort of emailed forever. And then we started following each other on Twitter shortly thereafter. Um, and we're just kind of friends back and forth on Twitter. I didn't show up on the podcast until he had an open call for uh, basically he just went out on on Twitter and was like, hey, who wants to talk about Deadpool with me? (laughs) And I was like, I would like to talk about Deadpool. That's great. So I came on with, uh, I think, Brendan and Chewy and a couple of other folks to to do Deadpool. And uh, then started guesting a little bit more frequently on just just frequent like random movies um 
And it wasn't until like once I started like launching my podcast and I had Alex and Sharon on, I think actually it was just Alex. I had Alex on to talk about like paradoxes as a rule and how they worked. After that, I've kind of just became the time travel guy. So whenever there's a when whenever there's a time travel episode that he wants to talk about, he'll bring me on. So like I came on for Infinity War, I came on for About Time. We talked about Terminator Dark Fate, that kind of thing. And I'll occasionally get offered uh, guest spots for other things, but it's it's <laughs> usually something that's time travel related. And mm-hmm. over the course of that, you know, we became friends and our you know relationship went up and down for various reasons over over things we've been close and not close uh, i'd like to think that we're in the close we're, we're we're close again and yeah he reached out to me a couple of years ago saying basically at some point here in the near future i'm gonna start writing a time travel book and if you're down for it i'd you know i'd really like your help getting it consistent and making sure that all the rules work then that happened that started happening in uh, geez, when was it? It was like January or February, something like that, when he actually started writing the book in earnest uh, for mm. Back in Time and Space of of this year. We sat down and first we established like the same thing that that I've done with, you know, whenever I'm writing my own stories or when I'm working with other people, we, you know, sit down and say, okay, well, let's first let's start talking about how do you want the time travel to work? Like, what are the rules? Let's lay those out first. Mm. And figuring sort of figuring out how um how those are all supposed to work so that we have that that uh that consistency his story has the advantage of the fact that that edward that doc is a scientist and is specifically thinking about these things from the outset so it makes sense that we can say like we're gonna we're gonna make plans and the things that you want to accomplish we can localize the effects of of stuff and we can try to make mm-hmm. sure we, we can do this with the goal of the characters want to have as little effect on the timeline as possible. And that Alex has the extra advantage of the fact that he's not only able to travel through time, but also jump between universes for mm-hmm. part of this and part of them they can't. But um, so it makes a, a bit of extra complication where we're like, OK, well, how does this work? Does this work differently? Does the the parallel universe travel work differently than the time travel? You know, and and what happens with respect to your timelines? Are we are we just creating alternate universes or are we like rewriting the existing time, like the existing universe? And we went back and forth a lot and he would ask he would ask me questions on like discord or occasionally we would get into a Skype room like this, but usually it was just text things through discord. He would either send me chapters and say, how does this, how does this fit? How does this work? Or he would be like, I have a question. I'm not sure how this is going to work. What can we do? And then we would sit and and work things out, sort of hash stuff out as like, well, if you do this, here are going to be the repercussions. If you go back this way, you're going to end up with some other issues. Here are a couple of ways that you might try to solve this, and there are going to be consequences for each one. And you know, I'm trying to be as deliberately vague as possible because everybody should read the book. It's really good. Alex did a great job. And again, you know, you, you called me co-author earlier, and I don't want to take that mantle at all. I, I prefer to think of myself as a consultant uh, mm. for Alex. He did all of the writing, like all of the words there are his. Um, mm. I just made sure that they that it made sense. I didn't actually write out the intro for this interview. 
And maybe I should do that more often, because it was never my intent to muddy the water like that using the word co-writer. Obviously, the point of the interview was to find out how and where Jesse did contribute, but it would make sense that if Jesse had done more than consult, then Alex would have properly given credit on the book itself. Having said that, I also don't want to discount Jesse's contribution either. He is a creator himself, and has done his own fiction in addition to the work with Recorded Tomorrow. It's hard to avoid inserting something of yourself into any collaborative work, even if you're not writing out words to be read like I myself am doing now. By example, even though Aaron Sorkin wrote every single episode of Four Seasons of the West Wing, put a penny in the jar, he still employed a writer's room to workshop things and to come up with the ideas that he would include in his screenplay. One of those things that I got to learn about from the West Wing Weekly podcast are the stories of some of those writers that furnished those building blocks Sorkin used in his writing. But I digress. Back to Jesse. And, well, uh, honestly, yeah. we were absolutely curious about how the process worked in terms of how your consulting came into play. More specifically, one of the notes that we had down here is that you hadn't had a chance to read some of the phase two books of New Century, <laughs> which yeah. means that if you were like looking at entire chapters and the and the stuff mm. that was in there, was it an enormous obstacle to overcome when you didn't necessarily know all of the things that were being referenced to or did maybe Alex had to go out of his way in order to be like, so this is why this is important. And now can you advise me on whether all of this stuff syncs up? How mm. did that work for you? Yeah, it wasn't actually uh, very difficult you know, at, at the risk of just sounding like a shameless shill. Uh, Alex has done a really good job of writing the story so that I, I was able to infer a lot just through context. Mm. And there were some things that I would need to clarify. Why does this one character recognize some particular piece of music, even though he's from the 1800s? And you'd be like, well, that was in that book you didn't read, asshole. Um, but, <laughs> um, but the, uh, you know, for the most part, like I said, I was able to fill things in from context. And if I did have questions or if I did have things that didn't make sense that I couldn't infer, I was able to uh, and just ask him mm -hmm. about it. And he would give me just as not, just enough details to make it work. But like I knew who most of the characters were and why they were important, even if I didn't recall all of the events, because, yeah, I famously don't read very often, like actually mm -hmm. sit down and read a book because I'm I, I have a million other things that I'm doing and uh, it's really hard to take the time out uh, mm -hmm. to do that. I don't even like sit down and watch TV or or watch movies either. We mentioned we were talking about the Suicide Squad and unless I make an event of it and actually go to the theater, typically if I sit down and watch a movie, it's going to be something that I'm watching like while I'm doing laundry or on my phone while I'm doing the dishes or something like that. And that's how I that's how I absorb books, too, is I listen through I listen to a lot of audiobooks while I'm driving or while I'm doing the dishes or while I'm cleaning the house or while I'm in the shower. 
and that's not you know reading a paper book isn't very conducive to that so it, it's so i'm way behind on the new century multiverse um i've listened to i think i've listened to all the audiobooks and i have in the interim i have now read stone spring maidens but i haven't read anything further than that mm-hmm. and uh, well i say i've read stone spring maidens i've i've almost finished stone spring maidens uh, but the rest of them, like Nightfall of the Wendigo and what was the other one? There's one more that I haven't read. Panther Soul. Uh, Panther yeah. Soul. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't read those two. I have read Back in Time and Space, obviously, because I had to read through the whole thing <laughs> for, you know, to to consult on it. But uh, yeah, so I'm looking forward to like I have all of those books. They're sitting on my bookshelf. They're gorgeous. And <laughs> I'm I'm going to pick them out as soon as I can. But it's very slow going for me. You'll have a good time when you do. And honestly, I'm just very impressed with how well you were able to keep up because, as you say, Alex, I think, writes a lot of his books with the idea that if someone reads this first because this particular genre is exactly their jam, Mm -hmm. then you want them to not be completely in the dark. But I think what's impressive about Back in Time plus Space or and Space, I... it was always one of those titles that you could sort of read either way. But uh, for me, Alex says plus space. Yeah, <laughs> uh, we've, we've gone both ways on that, unfortunately. Mm. So, yeah, yeah. We're, it, we're, we're, we're breaking rule one. We're not being consistent. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but well, this is the thing. It's that anytime you hear one of us say plus space and anytime you hear another person say and space, you're just hearing two different timelines. It's <laughs> in, yeah, it's an alternate universe. Exactly. Yeah. This is the thing is that I I think that what that book does is similar to what Infinity War did, which is it uses the conceit of time travel to kind of go back over the narrative pieces of other entries in the series mm-hmm. and kind of use that as a way of going back to old uh, stories or things that happened and either just rearranging and playing with things that you're familiar with or kind of justifying that this happened because of the events that are going on here. So there's not really a final destination in mind to this question. I'm just, I think it's really uh, commendable that you were able to do such a great job with like making this like not tangle into a mess while sort of having all these different components come together. Uh, Also, we're curious about you mentioned when you first started talking about the beginning of the collaboration process that you were basically doing a little bit of an outline with Alex on how you wanted the time travel and the rules, mm. the, how, how you wanted all of that to be structured. You, you've talked about in, in Recorded Tomorrow Now about the different ways that you can tell a time travel story. Was there a specific type of time travel structure that you had in mind when you first started building this together uh, and did that change during the process Mm. uh well we did go back and forth a bit i didn't have anything in mind again i was there just to to Mm. facilitate alex doing doing his thing and the obvious solution like the the first thought that we had was we're already dealing with the multiverse uh what if going back in time just spins up another like creates another branch and creates an alternate Mm. universe every time you go back and thinking about the consequences of what that would mean 
for the timelines that that are then created and back you know backed up and everything alex felt like it would be we he he didn't want to go that route and so we ended up with to put it in recorded tomorrow parlance we ended up with a just as a pretty standard variable thread mm-hmm. timeline where you know going back if you if you travel use the time stone to travel back or the the time orb sorry to go back in time along a a specific reality that the changes that you make like when you go back you are rewriting that timeline as opposed to branching off into an alternate timeline where the other one Mm. still exists and if you want to know more about all of this recorded tomorrow parlance i'll leave a link in the show notes as to the specific episode of recorded tomorrow where Jesse and Jonathan go into detail on this subject. Like I said, the, the parlance would be variable thread. We mm-hmm. did start with the classic multiverse, and I don't know how much I can say without spoiling, but the thing that's that really made him back up and say, no, I don't want to do that, was the idea that through some change, like some of the changes that the, that the, the lead characters made would have ended up in catastrophic like having catastrophic consequences for the timeline mm-hmm. and like for whatever timeline they were in when we discussed this you know we it, it became clear that if that was how time travel worked if it was a multiverse then charlie and doc going back and causing these catastrophic events and then going back and changing things again those events were still happening Mm. They were just they they weren't changing them. They were just escaping them. And that to Alex felt that that would make the two characters seem a little it would make them more villainous. Um, Mm. It's a really tough balance to make Mm. because and this is (laughs) this is an episode that we haven't aired yet. But we talked about this on on my show. Time travel is at its core unethical. Mm. and because, because the consequences are so <clears throat> unimaginable they, that they are so you're taking it. exactly you are acting on basically you are acting on information that only you have and you are using that information to affect the lives of literally the entire universe and and this is why uh this is why so many time travel movies and stories involve trying to deal with the death of a loved one because when family's involved, an audience is a little bit more likely to give them a pass. In this story, because we're dealing with a something that is fundamentally unethical that our protagonists are doing, we had to be very, very careful to, to make them not out to be the bad guys, which is why Doc is so adamant about, like, we're only making small changes, we're verif- and, and we have to make sure that everything that we do, we have to do it in such a way that it's reversible. And we're going to go and we're going to immediately go back and check to see what happened. And if it and if the outcome is is not good, then we're going to go back and reverse it. And it it takes them to a crux point, which I think I can say this without spoiling anything. There's a point, you know, in the second act where they come to a, a point where they have made some changes and they have to make a decision because the world that they're in, like they haven't got what they wanted yet. But the world that they have created is fundamentally better and they have to decide, 
can we justify, can we morally justify going back and continuing to make changes, even though it's better like to, to get what we want, even if it means making the world worse on purpose. And mm. that's an that's an interesting point and inflection point for the characters. And I'm not going to say how it goes or what happens. You two know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. But the you know, for, for those who haven't read it yet, it's it's something that we really struggled with or, or we're really, really cognizant of the whole time is like we're we're having time travelers, but we have to make them we have to make them the good guys, which is why the characters, why Doc is so careful about the changes that they make um, and mm. being able to put them back and being very, very specific. Mm. So this is a question that we didn't necessarily prepare beforehand, but it's something that came to mind as you were speaking, was that in the book you have a whole range of uh, very helpful diagrams, some that mm. are in the main text, some that mm -hmm. are just kind of in the back matter of the book. And I was just wondering if that was something that was all Alex or a sort of collaborative effort, or if any of those were actually close to maybe something that you had mapped out during your conversations. Uh, yeah, those are actually about 50-50, I think, mm -hmm. um, in terms of like, so <laughs> what we ended up doing with the diagrams a lot was diagrams weren't just a like it's a visual aid for the reader we were using we were making those diagrams as a way of ex of like talking these things out and explaining them to ourselves mm. and saying like this is like we have to make sure that we have a handle on all of these things there are two diagrams in the back that are like avert that are like all of the jumps that that charlie and doc make mm. and the universes that they spin out and the consequences and uh, the first one, there's one that Alex made that he had in mind, at, like from the very beginning. He's like, this is this is kind of what I want to happen. And he sent it to me. And it, it's the one that has like the basically like the ribbons of the timeline where it's just, you know, back and mm -hmm. forth and back and forth. And then there's one that has all of the squiggly arrows that <laughs> that I made based on like that diagram and his conversations to understand make sure that i understood what he was going for and and i would send that to him and be like is this what you mean and he'd come back and say well not quite this other thing and so we would update it and change it until you know mm. until that diagram reflected our shared understanding and mm. the same thing with the diagrams in like the the plan diagrams in the mid chapters um those ones were i think i made most of those but it was the same type of thing like we're going to assume that like I I want to know like if we can zoom in on a little piece of those big diagrams and say like this is what what we know happens now I want to we now the characters want to go back and make a change and this is what we're hoping will happen just being able to to use that as a as a visual aid which is kind of weird in a you know book medium but um, it works and yeah to to the main point those were. Those were things that we were using as a collaborative tool and mm. as a as a learning process to make sure that both of us were understanding what the other was saying at pretty mm. much the the whole step, like every step of the way we were like, OK, let's get these diagrams out because I'm a very visual thinker and mm -hmm. like, let's let's get these diagrams so that they make sense. And we've got to go back and consult the diagram. And if the diagram doesn't work, well, you know, we need to change it or we need to add on to it. And um things like that. But yeah, it was it, it was an essential collaboration tool. 
I love that because I think that it feels like the development of this story and the actual contents of it are rather synonymous with one another because Charlie and Doc are also figuring this stuff out and it's a Mm -hmm. collaboration. Doc does a lot of the sort of explaining in that very sort of typical, like, okay, we need someone who is like able to deliver a lot of the science of this, but there's always two people having a conversation about this. And I think that that's the only way that this sort of stuff feels like you can understand it and it doesn't get delve into that primer textbook category <laughs> of just like we're relaying all of this stuff but it doesn't feel like it feels like it's words it's not being voiced that's something that probably fed into the development of this book wasn't just the ideas but how to make them something that you can intuit and something that like feels relatable and conversationable it I like hearing about this sort of stuff because it just makes me appreciate the end result all the more. Yeah, and the the process that Doc and Charlie go through when they are like when they are making those plans, mm-hmm. that that actually that, that mirrored a lot of Alex and me <laughs> going back and forth. Exactly. Like exactly with like I you know we would be you know Alex would say like I need them to make we want to try this change and I, you know, would come back with like, okay, well, what is that going to affect? And if you take this person and put them back in this timeline, what's going to happen to them in the interim time? And mm-hmm. how are you going to be able to like, is, is this outcome? Okay. And what happens, you know, when this character has this interaction and if we go back and undo it, does this piece still happen and all that? And it was, yeah, there was a lot of collaboration there, and a lot of that is mirrored almost directly between like Charlie and Doc versus Alex and me having mm-hmm. those same kind of conversations, like what would be the fallout of this decision? And this is what I want to do. How do I make it reversible? That was a, a question that we had a lot that we would go back and forth with. Like, how do we how do we set this up in such a way that we can go back and undo it if we have to? Mm-hmm. And and we missed a little bit. I think, Greg, even you went back and you talked to Alex. You're like, hey, this is a piece that doesn't quite fit with me. Yeah, I was asking mm-hmm. for an explanation in terms of, are we sure that this works? Have you considered that? And yeah, that's that's what you're referring to. And it wasn't yeah. even... It wasn't even a major component. It was a little no. thing that was niggling at me right. towards the end. <laughs> and, and I was just like, had you considered that? Can you explain it to me if you had considered it? And I was just like, I need to consult with Jesse again. <laughs> right. And he, he he echoed that back to me. And I was like, uh, I'm not sure. Let me think about this. <laughs> and I, I I thought about it. I went back and thought about it for, you know, a couple hours. And I, I went back to him. I think I may, might even have been the next day and be like, uh, no, yeah, Greg's right. We missed <laughs> we missed this. And then he and I kind of worked out back and forth like, OK, well, this. But they still would have been there and then they would have gone back and, oh, no, that wouldn't have happened because of this other thing. And, yep, that's exactly right. All right. OK, I'll fix it. I'm not as big a a time travel fan as as some people, but because this was like the big entry into New Century, I was like spending some extra time trying to make sure that I was following everything that was going on in the story. And at some points it was like, okay, I'm going to come back to this if I don't understand it now because I want to know what happens next, for goodness sake. (laughs) 
And in the case of your chart specifically, Jesse, there mm -hmm. was an additional visual component to it that helped me visualize some things that I had a little bit more difficulty with. Uh, Alex's version of the timeline of events where yeah. everything is just is just parallel lines. It all sort of makes my head hurt a little bit. So honestly, the fact that I was able to pick up on this one little thing and then run it back to you and Alex was just like, oh, I it, clearly I was paying attention. If I noticed <laughs> if I if I had this thought about, yeah, does this does this line up? <laughs> no, I'm not going to tell you what the bit I found was. I may not be a storyteller on the caliber of Alex or a master of fifth dimensional thinking like Jesse, but I'll be damned if I take even one step down the path of cinema sins. The part that I was concerned about has nothing to do with the meat of the plot, and only to do with a heartwarming moment at the end that would have been directly influenced by all the time travel decisions. Keeping that intact was important to me, and if you want to suss out what it might be, you'll have to read the book. To close us out, I did in fact go and watch About Time on Jesse's Urging, and while I had some of the same issues that the Shaws and Jesse himself did after listening to their podcast on said movie, I have to say that About Time did in fact strike an emotional chord with me. So as a symbol of that chord, I'm going to end on a piece of music from that movie. As it turns out, Richard Curtis wrote the screenplay with the artist's music in mind, and this song in particular. It's not about time travel per se, but it does feel emotionally true to certain elements of Back in Time plus Space. So until next time, this is Ben Folds with The Luckiest.
next door, there's no old-